coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 20th of March, 2022, Abiding in Christ. Today we're going to be examining a fairly familiar passage in God's Word, John chapter 15, where he talks about the true vine and the vine dresser and branches and bearing fruit. And we want to examine what it means to abide in Christ. If you would go through the passage and you didn't mind marking up your Bible too much, you could circle a lot of the words that are the same, like the word abide or abiding. And the other one is fruit. Fruit is listed in this passage multiple times. So Lord willing, we'll take this Sunday and next Sunday to talk about this passage. Today we're going to be talking about the aspect of abiding. And then, Lord willing, we'll talk about fruit bearing. The scripture then spells out what he's talking about right in the passage. Jesus said, I am the true vine. So we know who the vine is. That's Jesus Christ. He says, the father is the vine dresser, basically the one who tends and cares for the vine. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bring forth more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So we have then a description of the branch. So we have the vine dresser, we have the vine, and we have the branch, and that's believers. So we want to look at this passage because it has some interesting things. And the principal issue, as I said, is abiding. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Because that's the thrust of this passage. But I think in order for us to see where, Paul, where Jesus is going in this passage, we need to go back to another concept that has been laid out for us in the Gospels that brings us to this point. And that's a phrase that is repeated in Scripture over and over again, and it's the words together, follow me, follow me. In Matthew, we read, uh, and there's several passages listed here, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, we have that familiar section where Jesus calls Simon and Andrew and James and John, calls them and said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And scripture says, immediately left the boat and their father, and they followed him. And the reason I'm, I'm picking up on this phrase is because we often talk about salvation as a, 
idea of belief, and that's nothing wrong with that, trusting the Lord. Um, but the call on our life is to follow, to follow him. If he is the teacher, if he is the master, if he is the rabbi, if he is the disciple maker, the disciples then, in order for them to learn from him, is to follow him. And it doesn't mean just to trail on behind. It means to partake in what he's sharing, what he is doing, and to learn of him. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, there was a scribe who came to Jesus and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus spoke to him and said, Well, you realize I don't have any home. Foxes have holes, birds, the air have nests. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He says, And another disciple said to him, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus' head said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, you need to make a decision and you need to follow me. Later on in Matthew 9, Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector. And basically his statement again, follow me, follow me. And scripture says he rose and followed him. There is a cost to following. We saw a little glimpse of that when Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. But in Matthew chapter 10, he says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set man upon against his father, daughter against his mother, daughter-in-law against your mother-in-law and the people's enemies will be those of his own household whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and whoever does not take up his cross and again to follow me is not worthy of me whoever finds his life will lose it whoever loses his life for my sake We'll find it. We look at a passage like that and we go, that's pretty tough. That's, you know, you say you got to uh, turn your back on your mom and your dad. No, I don't think it's like that at all. I think what he's saying is if you follow me, the very nature of you following will have family members turn against you because they don't see what you see. They're, they're not following. They don't get it. Makes no sense that you would do it. And they feel on the outside looking in. But to underscore the idea, again, that following is a matter of turning to Jesus and learning of him what true life is all about in Matthew chapter 16 Jesus had just come from a moment of talking to his disciples and he had asked the question who do you who do people say that I am and they gave various replies and then he said who do you say that I am and Peter said 
Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And in this passage in Matthew 16, following from that interaction with his disciples, and especially Peter, he begins to tell them about him going to Jerusalem. Because the idea of following Christ is to know what he is about, and what he is about is providing salvation for mankind. And Peter, of course, because we know Peter, took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And we have a picture and a glimpse in what it means to follow Christ is to think like God thinks. Follow his pattern of life. To understand things from God's perspective. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after him, after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whatever it will profit for what, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? And so we see that following is part of the process of soul deliverance or soul saving. God, Jesus, as he's speaking here to his disciples, then is reminding them that it's going to cost them but it will be worth it. It will be worth it. In Matthew chapter 19, we have another man who comes up and he says, what can I do to have eternal life? What, what must I need to do? And, and Jesus, in talking with him, he, the young, this this man uh, talked about keeping the commandments from his youth. And the young man said, I've done that. What do I still lack? And he says, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor. You have treasure in heaven, come follow me. In other words, there ought not to be anything that gets in your way. From following me. That's pretty tough. That's pretty tough. Because he's already talked about. It could cause disruption in your family. Now he's saying. This is going to change your whole lifestyle. But he knew something about this man. And it comes out in the passage. When the young man heard this. He went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. In other words. Those possessions got in the way of him following him. I want to give you an example that we see encapsulated primarily in chapter 6 of John. And it, it flows out of a story that we're well familiar with. Jesus had had many followers. They had, were following him. And the reason they were is spelled out in verse 2. A large crowd was 
following him because they saw signs that he was doing on the sick. In other words, as Jesus went around and did some miracles of healing, a large crowd gathered around him and they said, we want to see what he is about. What is he going to do next? And in this passage then, he is in the midst of teaching and they realize that time is slipping away and the people are hungry and how are we going to feed them? And we know the story then of the feeding of the 5,000. And after all the excess was collected, this is the response of the people in verse 14 of chapter 6. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. In other words, they said, this is not just some ordinary teacher. This is someone sent from God to us. Jesus knew what was really in their hearts. And so he made his escape. But the crowd wanted more. And so they followed him. And later on in that passage, Jesus begins to teach some more. And he talks about things that maybe we would be talking about if we were around the Lord's table. He talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, having a part of who he was, literally. And scripture records, same group, and the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. In other words, if you don't take of me and learn of me and understand what I'm about and follow me wholeheartedly, you can't have any part in me. But this caused disruption in their thinking. And Jesus continued on and talked some more about him being the bread of life. And again, they were having a hard time with this. And in verse 66, we saw these people who said, this is a prophet who has come from God and had followed him out into the wilderness, followed him around the lake. Now we're trying to listen to him and follow what he was saying. But when they heard these difficult teachings of Jesus, when he calls on them to come out and be a true follower, it says after this, verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They turned back. This is too hard to say. It was okay when I, we were getting a free meal on the hillside. It was okay when we were seeing you perform miracles. But if you're going to put a call on our life, this is too tough. Jesus turns to the twelve. And he asks a strategic question. 
says, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter, who was reprimanded in the previous passage, says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Wow. What a statement. Where else can we go? If we're talking about life here, if we're talking about our spiritual connection with the living God, if we're talking about truly following, who else would we go to? You. You're the son of God. You're the one we should be following. And Jesus said, did I, not I choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is the devil. And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot. For if he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So you say, well, that's fine, Pastor, but why in the world are we going into follow me, follow me, follow me, when our passage talks about abiding. Well, I believe this is part two of follow me. And that is abide. Literally, the word abide means remain. Stay. Don't go anywhere. Remain. To remain, to continue, to stay. A Christian then, who is abiding in Christ, is staying, drawing on his spiritual life from his Lord. Continues to draw life itself from the Lord. And we go back to the picture then of the vine and the branches. And we think about that, that clarifies it a lot because what does the branch do? The branch is connected to the vine. Where does the branch get its life? Gets its life from the vine. It produces fruit, and we're going to talk about producing fruit, Lord willing, next week, but the only way the fruit is produced is if the branch is connected to the vine. And the vine then supplies life itself to the branch. And then there is a product that comes from that as well. Vine has an abiding branch. It produces fruit. If that vine has a branch that is not abiding, it can't produce fruit. That's what we see in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branch. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, in other words, if a branch is not connected to me, you cannot do anything. So what does it mean to abide? It means that we're drawing our spiritual life from him and continue to do so. We continue to draw life from him. Give you some cross-references here. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 6, it says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. 
And whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth isn't in him. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we have come to know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, and this tells us a little bit about what that is. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Why? If we go back to the analogy of the branch and, and the vine, what is the branch life source? It's the vine. What kind of life does the vine have? Well, we have a pretty good picture. We have a picture of Jesus Christ. It says, so what ought the branch ought to be exhibiting? The same sort of thing. You may wonder about this passage here in Ephesians 5, 18. Paul is writing to the church there at Ephesus and he says, don't get drunk with wine. That is debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. In other words, let the Spirit fill you. What's the Spirit going to do? It's going to share that life that's found in Jesus Christ with you. Fill you, allow you to live out the spiritual life that God has called you to. It's going to be exactly of the same character and nature. And that's what we're talking about. It should be no mystery to us that the branch ought to be of the same character and the nature as the vine and the fruit ought to be of the same character and the nature of the branch, which is of the same character and nature of the vine. Does that make sense? Colossians 3.16 picks up the theme of Ephesians 5.18 and, and says the result is the same when we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Basically, let the word of God be at home in you. You ever gone to somebody's house and you're invited in? Which rooms do you go to? The one the person says, here, have a seat in the living room. That's where you go. You don't walk through the front door and go rummaging around through the house, go downstairs into the basement, go up into the attic. You don't do those things. Why? <laughs> You're a guest. Okay? Well, who does all those things? Someone who calls this home. Kids grow up in the house. Hey, run down to the basement and pick up these things. Bring them upstairs. Or if you got an attic, go up into the attic and see if you can find some of those Christmas decorations or whatever. Bring them on down. But a guest doesn't do that. This is someone who says, this is home. I, I'm at 
I'm welcome here. This is my place. And what does it say? The word of God should dwell in you richly. In other words, should be at home in you. Word of God. And you go, same sort of analogy. What kind of character and nature does the, does the vine have? What kind of character and nature does the branch have? What kind of character and nature does the fruit have? It should be the same across the board. But we have a problem in this passage. And you're going, it's about time, Pastor, you get to this issue because I see it. Everybody sees it. What are you going to say about it? In verse 6, it says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branch are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Uh-oh. Does that mean if I am not producing fruit, God's going to cut me off and I'm going to hell. No. 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 The disciples had just seen a visual aid to this truth. In this passage, we had seen at the beginning of our study in the upper room, Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And Peter says, well, don't wash my feet. That's, you know, that's below you, Jesus. Um, And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have anything to do with me. And Peter goes, then give me a a wash all over. Run me through a couple times, whatever it takes. And Peter goes, and Jesus says, no, you're already clean. You just need your feet washed. That's not true of every one of you. There was somebody in the midst who was following Jesus. And that's why I brought up the passages about following Jesus. And one of them was Judas. If you had watched from the outside and looked at all the disciples and said, which one is going to betray Jesus? You would have been stumped. How do I know that? Because in John chapter 13, when Jesus finally said, one of you is going to betray me, and then Pete, and then Judas got up to go and do what God said for him to do, all the disciples looked at Peter and I mean at Judas and said, Ah, he must be going and purchase something for the Passover or something, or to give an offering to the poor, which was a common thing to do at Passover. And so that's what he's about. Not a one of them perceived that he was going to betray Jesus. But we know something about Judas. Back in John chapter 12, Mary had come in with some expensive ointment and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair And the house was filled with fragrance. And Judas, 
And we get this little insight into Judas, who was about to betray him, Scripture says, Ask the question, he says, why is this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And it sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, no sense wasting all this riches when we could turn around and sell this stuff and then give it to the poor. But you remember, he was the money keeper for the group. If they exchanged it for money, there would be a cut taken from it. How do I get away with saying that? Because of verse 6, and he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. In other words, his argument about selling it and giving it to the poor made it, it's only more liquid for me to have access to it if it is sold and I can get something out of the money bag for it. And we go, that's an interesting story, but I want you to think of it in light of our passage. Jesus had said, follow me. And now he's saying, abide in me. Judas is already gone now, but the disciples had seen this visual aid just earlier in the evening. And you say, was Judas a follower of Christ? Hmm. Well, he certainly had gone around the countryside with him. He had certainly been with him for years. He was not discernible from the others in the group because when he left they didn't see that he was betrayer but what do we know about Judas his heart was not of the same character and the nature as the vine in fact going back to John chapter 13, when Judas left, they said, uh, he, uh, he's just going to go and get something for the feast. And the reason I raise that is you say, well, was Judas a genuine follower? Was he abiding in the vine? And the answer is no. He looked like it. He looked like he was marching in step when Jesus was right there as Peter would say, hey, where else can we go? You only have the words of life. And Judas is in his heart, is going, well, I don't know. I've got reservations. I've got other things cooking here scripture tells us he was a thief because he was more interested in that than having the same heart of Jesus which would have been maybe to give to the poor so I believe that when he's talking about this passage he says 
Anyone who does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire, and they're burned. He's not talking about a true believer. He's talking about someone who looks like a true believer. First John, John writing that other letter, says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. The idea of continuing is what? To remain, which is the same word as abide. He says they would have stayed here. Why? This is where life is. It's with you, Jesus. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not all of us. And you say, well, you sure that Jesus isn't talking about Christians losing their salvation? What's it say? Anyone does not abide in me, he is cast away like a branch and withers. Branch are gathered, thrown into fire and burn. Listen to what Jesus said back in John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that have seen me and yet have not believed, all that the Father gives will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never, never cast out. I will never cast out. Can I give you a little aside about exegetical work? You don't go to an obscure passage to define a clear one. You don't come to a passage like this and go, I wonder if he's talking about Christians who lose their salvation. When Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You go, which one is clearer? He that comes to me shall have everlasting life. Whoever's in my father's hand, he will never be cast aside. So which way is this? Well, I, I'm going to go to this passage because really I don't understand it so much, but this must be the true significant one. No, don't do that. true understanding of how we interpret scripture as we go to clear passages to understand unclear ones. So Jesus isn't talking about Christians losing their salvation. What he's talking about is a branch that wasn't abiding in the vine at all. says if anyone does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers not even to talk about fruit bearing or not fruit bearing he's just not a branch that is abiding at all 
He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Lord willing, next week, we're going to talk about what fruit does the Lord want? Can I give you a hint? It's of the same character and the nature of the vine. So we'll get back to that in greater detail. But I want you to be encouraged here. Because what does it say? My father is the vine dresser. I'm the vine. My father is pruning so that it might bear more fruit. Cutting away those things which would hinder growth and, and, and productivity. Do we need that in our lives? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The sins would so easily beset us. Yeah. Clip off that one. <laughs> but he's not talking about believers losing their salvation. What he's talking about is the, the call to live out the life that we have already in Christ. That we might be exhibiting that life in us. The same character, same nature as the vine. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this introduction to this passage. And Heavenly Father, as we spend some more time meditating on it, thinking on it, and we talk about fruit producing, Heavenly Father, we ask that your name would be honored and glorified in the fact that we are abiding we give thanks in Jesus' name.